all know, uh, letters to leaders, looking at First and Second Timothy, and also the letter of Titus. And um, this is not a verse-by-verse uh, study, but rather is more topical or more moving around. And in fact, so far, we're in part three tonight, and I have not used a single verse over again. Now, I will be picking up in the middle of the text that I'm reading to you tonight uh, one verse, verse number seven, that we did use last week. Um, but again, it's not our primary text. So um, many of us are familiar with the part of the passage of the letter to Timothy. Uh, specifically tonight, I'm going to look at 1 Timothy um, that kind of sets up the passage that I'm looking at tonight, which is 1 Timothy 3.16. This becomes something that we have quoted many, many times, and it's of interest to me um, that the meaning of this might not be quite how we've used it. Um, we've used it to talk about uh, an understanding of the incarnation and of the Godhead in that sense. And yet, Paul seems to be in that passage, perhaps while including that, perhaps looking more at the issue of godliness. Now, your KJV translation would have put it that way. Another one puts it without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Okay? Christ was revealed in a human body. There's the incarnation. He was vindicated by the Spirit. Of course, humanity rejected him in death, but the Spirit raised him to newness of life. He was seen by angels. He was announced to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world, and he was taken to heaven in glory. And uh, so Paul, in this part of his letter, is kind of culminating with this, this verse, and I don't want to focus on it tonight, except to draw out that the meaning here, um, perhaps godliness is more than about the incarnation, or perhaps we need to understand godliness as applied to our lives in terms of Christ, but that it's not. This verse, is, I've always memorized this verse as a way to explain who God is. And while that's included in this, Paul's going to keep using this word godliness in the passages following in chapter 4. And then he turns in chapter 4, the beginning verses, and for sake of time, I'm not going to read them to you, but basically begins to warn just as Jesus did, that there are going to be those who are going to, through deception, they're going to pull people away from the truth. In other words, the false teaching that we've already heard previously that Paul is very concerned that it not be in the church and that Timothy stop it, that he stop the false teaching by means of doctrine. And so he talks about this a deceptive spirits and teachings that actually come from demons. So Paul is, is not just saying this is a human problem, but he says this is a spiritual problem. There are demons that are involved in this process. And then he names some of the things they're going to teach. It's wrong to be married, for example. It's wrong to eat certain foods. And so, by the way, if you know the First Corinthians passage and think that perhaps Paul's telling you that you may not get married, well, there's a verse where he clearly counters that and pulls it back. He sees for a very pragmatic reason that perhaps it's best not to get married. You're less distracted. I've always said, Paul, I'm going to agree to disagree because if I didn't have a wife, I'd be more distracted. <laughs> My wife is a good partner to me, makes life better. There are days that I understand what Paul's talking about. There are moments that I understand what he's talking about where I'd be like, oh, it'd be so much simpler if I didn't have this woman. But in total, I'm better off with that woman than I am without her. Um, it's wrong to eat certain foods, all kinds of teachings that are going on. And so in verse number six, where I want to jump in, in, in this letter from Paul to his son in the Lord Timothy, 
He says, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Now, I want you to pay attention across this passage. How many times Paul keeps referencing teaching or things related to it? We know from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that he's vexed that bad teaching be stopped and good teaching be present. But here we're seeing it again and again. In fact, in the second letter of Timothy, is another famous passage that we use probably in most ordination services, preach the word. And I wonder if that isn't one of the few occasions in the whole letter in which Paul uses the word preach when he repeatedly over and over uses the word teach. His concern is that things be taught properly and correctly. And so he says, Timothy, if you'll explain these things, which I think is fair to say that's teaching, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a worthy servant, one who is nourished by the message of faith and by the good teaching that you have followed. Verse 7, you heard this last week. We did use this to establish something. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales or myths. But tonight I want to draw your attention not to that specifically, though we've already dealt with it. Instead, train yourself to be Godly. Here's that word again. So clearly, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, while it definitely is very focused upon Christ, his incarnation, his rejection, his resurrection, his being seen of angels, his ascension into glory. In Paul's mind, this is not about Christ. This is about Christ imprinted upon us. He says to Timothy, you, instead of wasting time arguing over godless ideas and old, wi old, wi old wives' tales, instead train yourself to be godly. Now, I want to rest there for just a moment to encourage somebody to understand that training does not happen in a moment. As awesome as this morning was for Mariana, that is a moment, that is an experience, that is an imbuing of power, but the power of the Spirit inside of her is less concerned with her standing in an altar speaking in tongues, how many times she speaks in tongues across this week, or how many times she speaks in tongues between now and time she goes to heaven. That Spirit, Jesus told us, was sent back to live in us so that it could lead us and so that it could guide us into all truth. That leading and guiding sounds like training. The process whereby we move from one way of living to another. We move from one place of knowledge to another. We gain wisdom and practice and ability. Training requires repetition. Training requires mistakes. So for all of you perfectionists, for all of you that you cannot make a mistake and it's the end of the world, if you make a mistake, i got bad news for you, you're going to have to get over that because you cannot be trained in anything without making mistakes and receiving correction. This is why the writer of Hebrews said, whom the Lord loveth, he, oh, he doesn't wrap his arms around him and say, you're so good. 
whom the Lord loveth, he affirms. Right? He says that that was a good try. Way to go, Steve. That what the Lord does? No, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, even as a son in whom he delighteth. Now, I don't like to be chastened. I don't like to be corrected. None of us do. But some of you are downright neurotic about it. Is that that randomness, Joyce? Is that what you were talking about? There it comes, just out of nowhere. Okay? You're downright neurotic about it. It's the end of the world if you've gotten some correction. Well, see, here's the problem. Preaching can move you, and yes, preaching can convict you. But I'm going to tell you tonight that what really gets down where you really live is teaching. It's that day-to-day, step-by-step process whereby God begins to mess with your life. Uh -uh -uh. That direction. Uh -uh. This way. Good. Now add a little bit here. You know, it's kind of like riding with my son Caleb. Got it, Dad. Uh, you didn't follow the curve at the stop sign. I don't know why they don't teach people. We all know it. When you come to a stop sign, you curve into the stop sign. You don't come up at a straight square and then pull out and make a hard right. It's not right angles. I don't know how they teach this. It's just like, shh. And, of course, then he doesn't have very good control of the car. So the right angle, he takes out half the other lane while he's making that right angle. And I'm like, oh, come on, son. You can't do that. Follow the curve. And if you follow the curve, oh, and then there's another thing. you got to accelerate and steer at the same time. Not steer or accelerate. you got to do both at the same time. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You remember when, he, when he, you were still trying to figure out which pedal? Then one time we did something. I don't remember what it was. And then he looks at me and says, I got the wrong pedal. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Caleb will one day be a good driver and be pulling out his own hair with his own child. Because you learn. And you have to learn by somebody riding with you. Now, the funny thing is, is his mother doesn't want to ride with him. I don't know what's wrong with her. She's like, every single time when we're figuring out the cars on Sunday morning, Regina's like, I'm going with Vincent. Am I right, Caleb? I'm going with Vincent. I'm going with Vincent. I'm going with Vincent. I'm like, what? You be a good father. Go love your son. You correct him. And initially, now he is getting better about this. Initially, Caleb is, is vexed with a, with a Beardsley problem, which is we're never wrong. Okay? It's a very honest trait that comes down, at least on the Beardsley side, from both sides. Both my parents are never wrong, which made life very interesting in their marriage because you know somebody's wrong sometime, but nope, never wrong. Neither one of them ever wrong. They never lost the dime on Sunday night counting the offering. Nope, it was mom. Nope, it was dad. And so all of Monday was duking it out over the dime. <sighs> the reason he's saying nothing is because he knows it's the truth. It's not a one-time thing. That was all the time. Okay, so we come by it honest. So Caleb, Caleb, yeah, see, see, mom's upstairs, so she's getting thrown under the bus. My father was always the one that was missing the dime, absolutely. Mom was insistent upon it. 
And it would get quite emotional about it. So, uh, Sister Joyce, I'm sorry. That's where I raised my voice from. It's those two because they would get very passionate about the kingdom's money. So it's, it's kind of genetic. It passes now. So Caleb doesn't like being corrected. Caleb doesn't, Caleb doesn't like training. Guess what? None of us do. And by the way, let me just insert this for you very quickly. The smarter you are, the worse you are. Because you haven't had to have much training. You coasted on most everything. The dumber of you are better off. Because you've had to scrape it out some. I'll leave you to sort all that out, whether you've been dumber or smarter or whatever. But I'm serious. That's the problem. You, but you're not going to make it because, see, you've got to train yourself to be godly. You got the Holy Ghost at the altar. That didn't make you godly. Sorry, it didn't. In fact, I've heard funny stories of folks that got the Holy Ghost or got baptized went home, smoked a joint to rejoice. I've heard of people that were in fornication relationships and they, they got the Holy Ghost and they went home and they celebrated. And you know how married folks celebrate. Holy Ghost has got some training to do. Holy Ghost has got some work to do here. Mariana, I'm not saying you're in any of those categories, okay? But the Holy Ghost will do some training. You'll be walking along thinking everything's fine and you'll hear, ah, ah, ah. What? I did that? I've been doing that for a long time. Why didn't you say nothing about it? I just did. But Paul writes to Timothy and, and kind of sets up that it's not just about the Holy Ghost training us. It's about us even taking that responsibility and training ourselves. As we receive good teaching, as we believe the truth, as we don't waste our time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, we focus upon training. I don't know if Paul was athletic. I know that Christian history kind of has him as being short and bad eyesight and all this kind of thing. But, but he sure does use athletics an awful lot as his example. He talks about warriors. He talks about, he talks about um, uh, races. He talks about here this training language. This training language is language of athletics. It's muscle memory. Do you know how you're going to become godly? I'm, I'm sorry. Awful lot of it's just going to be a habit. Awful lot of it's going to be a habit. You're still going to be just as carnal as you ever were. You just have built up a habit not to act the way you want to. You're still going to think how horrible things, but your habit is going to be not to act on them. You train yourself. Athletes will tell you flat out, and musicians and other folks, it's all about muscle memory. You just do it enough. Trust me, I know. I got a pianist, and oh, my Lord, he just does it over and over and over and over and over and over again. So I don't even know if he, he I don't even know if he's thinking. I think he's brain dead half the time. He's just sitting there. <laughs> Body's on autopilot. That's what training is. Paul says, don't waste your time in meandering after these godless ideas and these old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. And if you didn't think he was talking about athletics, look at the next verse. Physical training is good. There it is. He immediately turns to it. Physical training is good. And he's actually quoting something. And I don't know what he's quoting. And frankly, I didn't do the research to figure out whether we even know what he's quoting here. 
Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And then that is a trustworthy saying, he says in verse 9, and everyone should accept it. Paul's just like, I'm not going to argue with you about this. Everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle. For our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. When you're training, there's times you get tired. When you're training, there's times that you get disillusioned. When you're training, there's times when you think you're never going to make it. You're doing it over and over, and you're messing up again and again. I know at times that there are things that my wife and I will work together on, and, and she has a, a stock saying, I keep doing it, and it doesn't change anything. It doesn't matter. I try, and it doesn't matter. Of course, there's much tears that come with it. Uh, it doesn't matter. Do it again anyway. You know why I come to church? Because I'm still in training. <laughs> I've told you many a time. I, I'm amazed by even Pentecostals. How many times? Well, I, just, I just needed to stay home and journal. I just wasn't feeling it. Well, psh, I barely feel it ever to come to church. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you need feel it to come to church. I got, I, something's wrong because I don't hardly ever feel it coming to church. Church is work for me. I mean, I, why? I thought I came to church because I developed the habit. I mean, the habit started pretty, pretty harshly. Uh, you want to live in James Beardsley's house? You want to live in Eleanor Beardsley's house? You go to church. Well, I didn't have any place else to live, so I came to church. Did that year six and year seven and year eight and year nine and year 10 and year 11 and year 12 and year 13 and year 14, year 15, year 16, year 17, year 18, year 19, year 20. And I went off to college at 20, off to some other university at 21. And I just, I, we went and found a church and I went to church because, I mean, I wasn't living at James and Eleanor Beardsley's house anymore, but I just go to church. I've got a habit. I've trained myself to go to church. See, I think some of us are too hyper-spiritual. We're looking for us to feel it. We're looking for us. No, no, no. You know how you're going to make it as a Christian? You know how you're going to develop as a leader? You know how you are going to become godly? You've got to identify the things that God says you need to do, and then you need to do them. And you should not be surprised when you find resistance within your life. Jobs won't cooperate. Husbands and wives won't cooperate. Children won't cooperate. And you just have to train through it. You train. And the way you train is you try to do it, and when you fail, you get up again and do what? You do it again. And then you fail, and then you get up again, and you do it again. And eventually, you get a little bit better at it, but you just keep doing it. You don't stop, whatever it is. So Paul alludes to this physical training that is athletic training. He says, but training for godliness is much better. We work hard. We struggle, but our hope is in the living God. So then in verse 11, he turns to Timothy, back to Timothy, and he says, teach these things and insist everyone learn them. Ooh. I love you all. You will learn these things. 
I love, I love being pastor because there's times that I get to be the dumbest rock in the room. Some of you are so excited, particularly when I talk about developing teachers. I watch it. I watch your eyeballs. Your eyeballs get all big, and you start going, and you're like, ooh, I want that. And then you come talking to me about it. And I, and, and I, I can imagine it. You walk away, and you're like, did he understand what I was saying? I'm not sure. He didn't give me any indication whether he heard me. I want to be a teacher. And I always do these dumb little things, like pat on the arm. You just keep loving Jesus. Have you taken the discipleship classes yet? Are you faithful in small group? Are you coming to church? How's your finances doing? Got the balance right between work and home and family? And I just ask these little questions. And, and I can imagine some of you, and I'm really not playing with you. I'm, I'm being straight up with you. I can imagine some of you sitting there going, okay, yeah, 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 but I want to teach. Insist that everyone learn them. You're not teaching until you learn them. Oops. I just went down the toilet. I'm, nobody's coming back to the rest of the series after that one right there. That's just done. That's my job, is to insist that you learn them. I love you. I love every single person here. I have hopes and dreams for so many of you, but we will not jump the training process. We're not doing it. And by the way, that doesn't mean that when you start teaching, you don't still have to keep training. Go ask the teaching team how nice I am to them. I don't act dumb with them. I look them straight in the eyeball and said, excuse me, you said you're called to preach? Excuse me, you said you're, you're supposed to teach? Well, then that means X, Y, and Z. It doesn't get easier, ladies and gentlemen. Correction doesn't get easier. Training doesn't get easier. It's hard. But we have hope in Jesus. Whatever your place within the body, you cannot go around the training. Whatever God is calling you to, you cannot go around the training. So Paul's writing to Timothy and says, teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. And then I don't know whether it, it all depends on who you're talking to, whether I fall in this category or not. But verse number 12, he says, and don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. <laughs> I've learned something about elders in my life. Every year I get older, so do they. <laughs> Which means the gap between me and them, and therefore the conclusion that I don't know what I'm talking about stays the same. Now the only good news is is if all else is equal, they're going to die first. And then, <laughs> then, and only then, that's exactly right, Desi, I'll turn into the crotchety old man that looks at the young and despises them. Paul says, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. I, I believe Paul here is, is saying, this is not about age, this is about calling and preparation. And Timothy as we learned about in, in, in part one, Timothy was pulled into Paul's circle at a very young age as a young man. And he'd spent years with the Apostle Paul and receiving training. And Paul says, look, just because you're young and just because they don't think you know what you're talking about, if you are called, and you're going to see that a little bit later, and you have been trained and you've submitted to it, 
You don't back down. But here's what you do. You don't rant and rave at the elders. He says, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. And then I've got to hurry along because Rachel's got something to say tonight. And I want to go to dinner, so the two need to work together. Wow, y'all getting a little stiff on me tonight. Come on now. Paul writes and says, until I get there, now look at this. I alluded to this this morning. This is what I was talking about at the end of service. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Now, first of all, I want, I, and I'm not going to go far in this, but I, I want you to understand that I'm not so sure that the distinction between preaching and teaching that we make is quite the, dis- the distinction made by Scripture. Okay, so that's the first thing I want you to understand is I, I do think there are some differences, but I don't think they're as harsh as we have made them. They're not as, as clear cut. But the second is, is that whatever distinction there is, Paul is concerned. He says, look, make sure you're reading scriptures to these people. Now, understand that the vast majority of these people can't read. So he's putting a focus upon the scriptures. This morning's service occurred not because I knew how to preach, but because I brought you the scriptures. The scriptures do not come back void, church. That's why the whole body's empowered to go be leaders, go be influencers, because you have the scriptures. Stop looking for a pulpit. Stop looking for confirmation. Take the scriptures, live them, and teach them by how you live them. He says, encourage the believers and teach them. Here again, Paul's coming back to this teaching which he started in the first three, number three and number four of his verses. He's concerned with right teaching. Then he goes on, he says, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. And this is open to some debate of where are we talking about? When did this happen? But this could possibly have happened as early as the elders sending him forth from his hometown on his first missionary journey with Paul. Don't neglect the work of the Spirit in your life. You will not be godly by study alone. You will not be godly by study alone. You will need to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's part of your struggle. That's part of your training. But it is not by that alone. It is also the work of the Spirit in your life. He goes on, he says, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your task so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Train yourself to be godly, Timothy. Focus on reading the scriptures encouraging the believers and teaching them. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. This is how you'll be saved, and this is how those who are reliant upon you will be saved. Training to be godly. Focus upon the scriptures. Encouragement of one another and teaching. 
This is what Paul is concerned with. He says, this is how we're going to arrive at godliness. This is how you're going to make it. And leaders, we can have nothing less. You must be willing to train yourself. You must be willing to focus upon the scriptures. You must be willing to be engaged with one another in encouragement. You must be willing to submit to and participate in teaching. And teaching is both what you say and what you do. And it doesn't matter your age if you'll do these things. It doesn't matter your age. Does not matter what your age is. You can lead. But you're going to have to train. And train is hard work. You're going to have to study and know the scriptures. And that's hard work. You want to understand why this congregation is behind Bible quizzing? Now you understand why. That is a program that takes extreme effort to train. You have to overcome hurdles. I came into the Lugo house the other day, and I got a report before he came forth to see me that Kendall was having a less than stellar day on training. Quoting was taking an awfully long time. Grandma was ready to kill grandson. Kendall quotes to his grandma on the phone. She can't get to him over the phone, but in person. (laughs) Training is not easy. It's just not. It's hard to do. Musicians, if you'd come. What are you training in? You're not training in what you're pursuing. You're training in the scriptures. You're training in godliness that comes from the revelation of who God is. You're encouraging one another and having them encourage you, your brothers and sisters, and you're engaging in teaching. This is what makes leaders. This is how we arrive at spiritual maturity. Is by making ourselves train. There's habits that we have to develop. And you've got to be patient with yourself. You've got to be patient with one another. You've got to be able to embrace a process, not just an event. I want to close with this, this last statement here, and it really is a last statement. Many of you, as you come to us, you're looking for, how do I become a member? That's language of an event. And when you ask me about that, I invariably talk to you about discipleship. That's a process. I'm not interested in making members. I've been commanded by Jesus to go into the world and make disciples. That takes time. That takes training. That takes process. And we've got to do it. And thank God it works. Can I get an amen from some of you that you've been walking down this path for a little while. You, you felt the effects of that training on your life. You would shock the dickens out of these people if you showed what you really are if not for your training if not for your habits if not for the things that you have developed within your life i'm glad that god has given us his word and given us the ability to be trained amen let's stand to our feet ushers